May we all humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Great Heavenly Father, as we come before you on this Sabbath day, basking in the afterglow of a, of a wonderful feast when hundreds of people, hundreds of your brethren, your people, our brethren, come together and, and for eight days just enjoy the fellowship and the learning and the understanding and the praise that we give you. There is nothing like it on earth, Almighty Yahweh, and we thank you for calling us to these things and opening our minds to the importance of your days, that one day we can join Yahshua in his kingdom, still keeping these days and being blessed as well. We thank you for the many who came out, for those that are, who are still suffering from a little virus. We pray that you'll heal them soon and we all get back together again. And we pray also that you'll guide each of us and many more into the knowledge of truth. For we know that the days are evil, the time is short. We need to get the word out as, as we can. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with us this service and guide the words that we speak. In Yahshua's name, hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, I thought maybe we should give out awards to all those who come to the feast and make it a blessing for everyone who does. But wait, Yahweh's already got that covered. And he said that he'll be, we'll be blessed for our faithfulness now and then. And you know when then is. Peace of Tabernacles was one of them for the record books, I believe, for sure. We were concerned that the rec center may not be ready for the 80-plus people who are going to stay up there. But a push this summer with all our, our good volunteers made it possible. And those are, as the president would go... Those are you. We pray that uh, you are blessed for having so selflessly done that for the, for the uh, benefit of your brethren, too. Thanks to all our dedicated volunteers, week after week, probably, what, 50 or so, I think we estimated, who came and gave of themselves. So... To me, it was a Herculean feat. Yahweh's hand was certainly in it, and the fruits were there for everyone to enjoy. When Yahweh makes a command, you can be sure his faithful will be there keeping it. Here's a few situations that would easily detour those who don't quite have the vision, who are not quite there, who are not as faithful. We had a couple with a just-born baby. I mean like one day old, who were up there keeping the feast for the whole eight days of the feast. Back in the 1970s, Marge and I had a two-week-old baby, Jennifer. You may have seen her up here. And uh, we traveled a thousand miles to keep the feast. Wouldn't even think of staying home. A brother and sister had... Vehicle trouble again this year, the third year in a row, coming to a feast. And they spent the last 75 miles in a tow truck, but they came to the feast. They would never talk about giving up a feast and staying home, never. I recall back in the early days of keeping feasts of a man who had transmission trouble and being of a very... Uh, Skillful mechanic, he got out his tools and fixed his transmission right there on the road. 
Didn't turn around and go home. For a second feast, now a brother flew from Ireland to be here. You know, Yahweh never included a statute of limitations when he gave the feast command. He never offered a list of excuses we could select from if we didn't want to come to the feast for some reason. Now, I realize there are severe situations that might keep you from the feast, such as health. But commonly, those aren't, those aren't a problem. The Feast of Tabernacles is one of the pilgrim feasts where we are obligated as his people to go where he places his name. When we stay at home, we not only hurt ourselves, but those brethren who do come. And they say, where's such and such? Uh, he or she uh, aren't coming this feast. And you can just hear the disappointment in their voices. Sometimes we don't think about that. When we're not here, it's a downer to those that do come. It's a downer. I, I never thought about this, but when uh, Brother Demet said, uh, when he heard the 200 voices or so of the people out here singing, he says, boy, it feels good, something like that, to not have to hear just myself and a few others to have everybody singing. I never thought how I'd, it would even affect you know, the, the musicians and the spirit they have. Never thought about that, but that's the problem. We never think about stuff like that. We think about us too often. Amazingly, the world has no problem with pagan holidays. They never miss those. They join in automatically. You ever heard, well, I think I'll just skip Halloween this year, or, eh, I'm not going to bother with Christmas. You don't hear it very much. Zechariah 14, 17. What if we just said, hey, let's, uh, let's just uh, do away with all those pagan holidays. Would people run to the feast? What if we could do that? Wouldn't that be nice? Zechariah 14, 17 says, some, even under Yahshua's reign, will not come to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they get the plague. No, man is a little bit stubborn, isn't he? Man is a little bit selfish, sorry to say. But we're sure glad for those who put Yahweh first. Were you aware that Israel had Halloween? I mean, they slid into some of the very same trappings that continue on with Halloween. When they joined themselves to the pagan feast on the border of Canaan, Isaiah condemned it as an abomination unto Elohim. Isaiah 8.19 says, When they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter, should not a people seek unto their Elohim? For the living to the dead. But they didn't. They got involved too. And even worse than their neighbors. If you realize how very dangerous it is to dabble in spiritism. Believe me. If you want to engage the occult. There are unholy spirits out there. Eager to accommodate you. It doesn't take any, any prompting at all. And they're there. Society's captivation with the occult. Comes as America continues its post-biblical secularization, secularization. You know, while the courts continually remove any biblical reference or standard in the public square because a single atheist complains, the void is being filled with 
heathenism, exodus from the truth. That's heathenism. Occultism is emboldened when that happens. So when someone asks whether you are ready for Halloween or Xmas, just tell them, well, I follow the scriptures, and it's not in there. Let them think a minute. Let them think. Let them wait for that comeback, you know, the common comeback, and be ready for those too. We do it for the kids, which is the worst thing you could do. Think about it. Teaching young minds to go a different direction from scripture? Think about that. Knowing the history of these days, I'm going to talk about the history of these days. Yahweh told Israel in Deuteronomy 14.2, For you are a holy people unto Elohim, and Yahweh has chosen you to be a peculiar people unto himself, above all the nations that are upon the earth. Peculiar. That doesn't mean, well, that, that reference is kind of to the oddness, because we're odd, because we don't follow the status quo. But that doesn't mean, it means special, really, ultimately. A special people to him. Peculiar to the world, yes, certainly. Halloween is one of the oldest celebrations in the world. After Christmas, it's the world's most celebrated today. Upwards of $6 billion spent on this day. It has displaced Easter as the number, as number two on the charts to the tune of billions of people following it. Costumes and parties, not to mention the Christmasization, Christmasization of Halloween. You notice that? Man likes to syncretize. He likes to join things together. So we, we look out here and we see Halloween stuff out on people's yards, trees decorated with ghosts and pumpkins, kind of like Christmas, orange lights on houses, kind of like Xmas, and Halloween displays on lawns, just like Xmas. Where is it going to end? It'll end, I guess, when Yasha comes back. Next, we'll probably see these decorations stay up all year round, too. My granddaughter, Hope, once told her kindergarten teacher, that pumpkin has a Christmas smile on it, and we don't celebrate that. <laughs> Why does the culture obsess over this coming holiday? Because there's always a demand out there to party to have fun, even if it's wayward, even if it's wrong. And Halloween is a made-to-party extravaganza. It also has all the obsessions of Hollywood. It's got murder, it's got mayhem, spiritism, fear, gore, mayhem, intrigue, bedlam. It's not only the most profane of popular observances to me ever invented, but it also competes with itself each year to be more grotesque. Then last year, back when America was a kinder, gentler society, I remember kids dressed up like policemen, firemen, howdy-doody, baseball players, favorite actors. Now what do they dress up as? You're not cool unless you're grotesque. All the abominable satanic costumes, they're out there now on sale. You can go to Walmart or any of the other marts and you can find them. What a weird observance. Think about it. What a weird thing. Strange, over the top. What redeeming value is there in the grotesque? In guts and glory, monsters and mayhem, bats and bedlam. What redeeming? What, what does it make you feel inside? Does it make you feel good? 
The more sinister and evil it is, the more the world lusts for it. The ancient pagans would be proud. I guess the modern ones are too, no doubt. Why would you expose your children to what I just described? Death, destruction. Where is the spiritually redeeming positive social value in this observance? Well, (laughs) if you find it, it's going to be rare and and, uh, hardly uh, ever glorified. It also adds to the buildup of evil in society. Compare with scriptural holy days. There's no contest. You go away from the feast, you're on a high, right? Everyone's felt it. You're on a high. You're in that afterglow. And it lasts for, like Moses coming down from Sinai, glowing for a while. And then after a while, it starts to fade. So we come back each week and rejuvenate, get it back. They teach a spiritual fulfillment you gain that has no comparison with anything else. No peer everywhere, anywhere. Have you ever looked beneath the surface of this bizarre observance of Halloween? When Yahweh tells us in Jeremiah 10 to not to learn the way of the heathen. Doesn't get much plainer than that. Not to learn the way of the heathen. Nothing fits better than Halloween, in my mind. He warns in Leviticus 19, 26, and 31, you shall not eat anything with the blood, which is an appropriate metaphor, I guess, with Halloween. Neither shall you use enchantments nor observe times. Regard not them that have familiar spirits. Neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. You follow me. That's what he's saying. Yahweh hates all the evil. Anything that's evil, divination, sorcery, medium, spiritist, which are all listed in this passage, and Halloween revels in them all. The essence of something always comes out in the various manifestations of it. You can tell a person, you can tell a a father and mother just by watching their children. Give you a lot of great insights into their character. We always can tell things by the manifestations, what comes out of them. You can take a putrefying apple, paint it up, even decorate it with ribbons and bows, paint it nice and shiny, but you still have an apple that's rotten to the core. And no matter how good it can be made to appear, oh, it's for the children. They're having so much fun. They love all those sweets. We'll visit the dentist next week, but they love all that good stuff, and that's really good for them. Uh, wrong on several counts, we just observe the grand finale of the biblical celebrations. Yahweh's Feast of Tabernacles. Those who attend learn that just being there enriches them spiritually. Just being here, the spirit moves. Gives them a rich, deep down spiritual satisfaction, indescribable glow that they never experienced before. A first-time attendee said he'd never had such a trip. He'd never had such a time before. It's Yahweh's spirit working. You begin to feel it. Compare that with this society's attempt at a celebration. The Bible's observances are not optional pursuits like the 4th of July family reunions or weekend outings. It's not optional. And when you're baptized, it's especially not optional. He expects you to be there. You might as well give up the Sabbath too if you're not going to come to the feast. 
You might as well give it the Sabbath because it's listed. Leviticus 23, when it lists all the feasts, starts, starts out with the Sabbath. They're all holy to Yahweh. These are Yahweh's very own commanded observances, brethren. They're commanded. His people, if they truly are his people, have no choice. They will attend every time a feast comes around. You can count on it. They have been given a command from their very maker, and non-consequential excuses will not be honored in heaven. On the flip side is Halloween, a non-compulsory observance bought and paid for by the Roman Catholic Church. It's wallowing evil, anciently, is legendary. Paul warns in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He is a counterfeiter extraordinaire, par excellence. That means he can make an out-and-out perversion look good. Look good. Oh, look what he did to eat. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Just eat this forbidden fruit, and look what it's going to do to you. Wow. You'll be like a mighty one. All you got to do is take a little bit of it. He makes everything attractive, it seems, and even fun, especially for the children. But we can learn a lot from the historic roots of this holiday. Anciently, Halloween is a union of four threads, four threads coming together into a tangled web. I want to look at each thread, take it back to its beginning. The first thread originated in Western Europe long before Yahshua came to earth with a people known as the Celts, the Celts who lived in the area that is now the United Kingdom and northern France were a warring pagan people. Paul calls them the Gauls, Galatia. That's where they came from. They were known as Gauls by the Romans. Incidentally, some of these Gauls migrated to what became known as Galatia, and it's their religious practices that Paul condemned in his book of Galatians. Galatians 4.8, How be it then, when you knew not Yahweh, you did service unto them, which by nature are no mighty ones. We probably kept these holidays too, many of us in the early days, observances that had no mighty one behind them. But look what he says now. But now after you have known Yahweh, or rather known of Yahweh, are known of Yahweh, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements that you came out of and desire again to be in bondage? You observe days, months, times, and years. I fear for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He wasn't condemning true worship of Yahweh's days. That's not the subject of this address which aren't weak and beggarly. They're blessed and powerful, given by Yahweh himself. These elements kept you in bondage. Did Yahweh's feasts keep you in bondage? He was telling these Gauls, these Celts, not to go back to their old worthless paganism. Yahweh owns the feast, so how can they be weak and beggarly? So what were their origins? The Celts believed that demons and spirits were everywhere. This is an old pagan idea. There's, there's, there's gods in everything. There's demons in everything. Yahweh says don't learn these things. They believe that omens and portents were found under every rock, behind every tree. They counted on their priests, the Druids, to keep them safe from, 
from trouble, from the harm of these things. The Druids were responsible for all religious rituals as the only ones who could address a deity. So these guys had a lot of power, these priests, these Celtic priests, Druids, had a lot of power. Even though they were ruled by various kings, the real power was in the Druids, and even the kings feared the black magic of the Druids. Now, the most important religious day for the Druids was the celebration of, we would pronounce it Samhain, but it's actually Samhain, Lord of the Dead, basically Satanism. The Celtic New Year began on November 1st, appropriately. The night before, October 31st, was the night to reverence Samhain, Mighty One of the Dead, Hasatan. It was the time of falling leaves. Things were starting to die. People were getting a little concerned. Would that affect them, you know? Days were going darker, getting colder. A time chosen by these northern Europeans to celebrate the LORD of the dead. They believed that on that night of October 31st, the spirit would come in its closest contact with the world, with the mortal world. So on this night, the disembodied spirits of those evil people who had died during the preceding year would come back in search of bodies to inhabit, living bodies to possess for the next year. It was believed to be the spirit's only hope of an afterlife. Otherwise, they themselves were gone. So there was prevailing belief among most all nations that at death the souls of men, you know, were taken possession by good spirits and carried to paradise. But the souls of the wicked were left to wander in this space between earth and the moon. Sound like a little bit like purgatory? Yeah, I think so. Or consigned to the unseen world, these wandering spirits were in the habit of haunting the living. But all was not lost. There were means by which their devices might be short-circuited, and guess what they were? You see it today. You see it at Walmart. To keep yourself free of the evil doings of these evil spirits, you have to set up, number one, food, and provide shelter for them during the night. If they were satisfied with your offerings, they'd leave you in peace. Trick or treat. And if food, shelter, and provisions were not provided, these evil spirits would cast spells, wreaking havoc on man and beast. Endlessly torment the living. If the proper treat was not awaiting them, appeasing them, they would give you a trick. In modern-day Satanism, and also in witchcraft covens, this is the day when Satan himself comes to fellowship. Comes to fellowship with his followers. Many changes have occurred over the centuries, but the practice of giving an oblation stays the same. Oh, our culture does it on the guise of fun, but you can't mask the real meaning, brethren. It's not still the same as they say. It's the same old appeasement of Satan himself. To defend themselves, the Celts would try to fool these wicked spirits. How would they fool them? They dress up themselves as spirits. They put masks on and uh, garb, you know, so that the spirits wouldn't know that they're just human beings to inhabit. That's how they did it. 
had costumes, disguises that would not be recognized. So they wouldn't be possessed themselves. This was serious stuff. I mean, this is what they really believed. It wasn't a game. It wasn't just a fun little outing. It was serious. So Tommy, with no clue as to why he goes trick-or-treating, other than he did it last year and the year before, and all his friends do it, and besides he likes sweets, Tommy puts on a grotesque costume and knocks on your door with a threat. He wants a treat or he'll give you a trick. Sometimes they do do that. You ever had your house egged? We have. We used to. You don't see an awful lot of it now, but I remember people with soap windows. Remember that? Soap wasn't so bad. It washes right off. But they would do other things that are even more harmful. Kind of indulging in this same practice. The ghastly climax to this dark night was animal and human sacrifices to placate the Lord of the dead or the devil himself. These rituals were carried out by the priestly druids who would murder their victims, and I won't tell you how, but they would use the blood in their religious rites. They would also use entrails and body parts to define the future and forecast the new year. Isn't this what Paul said about their divining the future days, months, times, and years? Yes, exactly the same. The sacrifice remains were then burned in bonfires without the eat. Actually, they were bone fires. That's where the bonfire comes from, to burn up the bones. This was a serious time for the Celts. They were filled with apprehension. Many dangers lurked, and in their minds anyway, and so they indulged in this thing. They thought their crops could be in jeopardy. They thought babies could be stolen, farm animals killed, food and milk spoiled, all these things that they, their sustenance could go away. All because of this window of opportunity for evil spirits, they thought. And even though they were eventually conquered by the Romans, their pagan practices were never fully removed or rooted out of Western Europe, they still survive. And even things like Xmas, a lot of the same rites, worship of, of uh, mighty ones that controlled how long you live, whether you were prosperous, you know, all these things. That came out also. When the Puritans came to America, and we saw that movie last night, pretty fascinating, wasn't it? When the Puritans came to America, they were far too biblically astute to orient themselves to such occultness. They knew that all forms of the occult were strictly forbidden in Scripture. But in the 18th and 19th centuries, a host of migrants came to America from the British Isles, particularly during the Irish potato famine. With them came many of their homeland practices, including Samhain, the Festival of the Dead, or Halloween. And so this thoroughly occult and sinister observance took root in American soil. The second thread of the tangled web originates with the ancient Romans. Besides the Celts, the Romans, along with other ancient people, celebrated harvest. And I believe that could possibly take off of tabernacles, I don't know, in the fall every year. And their harvest was in honor of Pomona, the mother deity of fruit, now you know why apples are so predominant at Halloween. Apple bobbing, displays of apples, apple treats. 
Remember uh, how disappointed some kids got when they got an apple instead of uh, Hershey's in their bag? But that's, there's, a, there's a history behind it. Stuff like this doesn't just happen. And although societies may die, their beliefs and practices live on, embraced by the next generation. So when they say it's for the kids, yeah, and you're perpetuating it for the next generation and their generation after and after and after. It's a natural progression to keep alive tradition, especially profane tradition. It comes naturally to man to follow evilness and sin. Following Yahweh's ways is unnatural. It takes effort and bucking the norm. And so secular holidays are overwhelmingly popular. Yahweh's command observances, not so much. But the, the, uh, what comes out of the result is unbelievable. And blessings come with Yahweh's days. But that's why you find so relatively few keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and billions honoring Halloween. Jeremiah 17.9 says about the natural man, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, Yahweh, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. This is the Pantheon. You ever heard of the Pantheon? The Roman general Agrippa built the first Pantheon, which is a temple for all their G.O.D.s, in 27 B.C.E. It was rebuilt by the Roman Emperor Hadrian in about the year 100 and dedicated primarily to Sabella, the goddess of nature. And since it was a pantheon, pan meaning all, theon relating to theos, to gods, it's a temple for all gods, many deities were worshipped there, The Pantheon became the principal place of worship for the Romans and the place where they went to honor and pray for their dead. Eventually, they fell to the invading barbarians who overran the Pantheon along with everything else, and gradually it fell into disrepair. In the year 607, it was recaptured by Emperor Phocas, that's P-H-O-C-A-S, who gave it as a gift to Pope Boniface IV. Boniface then reconsecrated and dedicated the pantheon to the Virgin Mary. See how these things slip in? See how it works? In other words, the Roman church consecrated this pagan temple, baptized paganism, and enlisted it in its own worship. So from the year 607, the pantheon was used as a Christian church, and they call it the Basilica of St. Mary and the Martyrs. It was... An easy enough transition from Sabella, mother goddess of nature, to Mary, the mother of the Savior. Oh, see the parallels? The church used that a lot to get people to shift over into their own version. Every May, a major celebration was held in the Pantheon to the Virgin Mary. This happened with a lot of pagan edifices. Instead of tearing them down as Yahweh commanded Israel to do with the pagan altars that they encountered in Canaan, they often just moved their own icons right in and kept on worshiping there. The result was a blurring and confusion of worship. Exactly what Yahweh did not want to happen. Warned them over and over and over about. 
And while the Roman church had sought to Christianize the culture, she's so often been dominated by this historic pagan influence, which we see come out in so many doctrines. And so today, Halloween observing Christians fool themselves into thinking they can celebrate with Hasatan and still be saved by J.C. The second stream that flows into Halloween involves syncretism, the combining and merging of different faiths, different religious distinctives into one religion. See, they don't call it the universal church for nothing. It really is. It's a conglomeration of all these other faiths. Isaiah 5.20 warns, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Halloween is one of the blatant examples of this merging, this syncretism of different religious beliefs into a single observance. Now along comes the pagan Roman emperor Constantine, and he makes Catholicism the official religion of the state. Now the whole Bible-professing, confessing world is sucked into this pagan religion with only a faithful remnant remaining. During the Dark Ages, a terrible time, the Roman church had sought to increase its influence over many pagans, sometimes more successfully than others. Many pagan superstitions and practices that the church had early on sought to eradicate began to reappear, especially in Europe during this, this time, involving witchcraft, which became widespread. It's the third thread introducing Halloween's tangled web. One of the key rites of witchcraft was the number of celebrations held each year. Witches' Sabbaths, the most important of those, was known as the High Sabbath or the Black Sabbath, which occurred on, that's right, October 31st. It was generally a night of feasting and revelry. It was that feast that provided the many trappings of modern Halloween, like a witch's riding on a broomstick. That, uh, that's a metaphor for something you really don't want to think about. Black cats, skulls, and pumpkins, so much of today's Halloween stems from this witch's Sabbath celebrated in Europe during the Dark Ages. Some believe that spirits could be warded off by carrying a grotesque face into a gourd or root vegetable like a turnip and placing a candle inside, calling it a jack of the lantern. Jack is another word for Satan. Jack O'Lantern, an abbreviation. Jack is another name for Satan or Joker. In the Irish tale, a man named Jack was found of playing tricks on the devil. Annoyed, the devil tossed Jack a burning coal from hell. With the coal in his lantern, Jack was condemned to walk the earth forever, searching for rest. Because ghosts and witches feared fire, the candle within the jack-o'-lantern, Jack of the lantern, along with its scary face, morphed into a defensive armor against these evil spirits and influences. And so they placed it in front of their home so that the evil spirits wouldn't get to them. Witches used skulls on Halloween to communicate better with the dead. You see all sorts of skulls during this time. It was also believed that witches derived from black cats, their power to invoke evil spirits, 
So I remember, you know, you got they became very afraid of black cats, the people did. They thought the animals were originally human beings who were transport, transformed by these sinister powers. Okay, there's one more thread in the historic development of the heathen holiday. It's the one from which the name Halloween derives, the very name of this holiday. In the early Roman church, there was a movement to honor and reverence the lives of certain church leaders and martyrs of the faith. Later on, they were put into a special category called saints. These are dead people. While the Bible calls living believers saints, the Roman church uses that term for those dead church prelates and others. See, one saint was honored for every day. They pray to a saint every day. The church father, Chrysostom, tells us that as early as the 4th century, the Eastern Church celebrated a festival in honor of these saints. Gradually, there became more saints than there were days. Now what are we going to do? How many are we going to worship each day? I mean, we're supposed to worship one. Now we've got all sorts of them coming on. What do we do? The solution was to consolidate. Consolidate and remember all of them into a special day called All Saints Day. All Saints Day. In CE 205, Pope Gregory III changed the celebration of All Saints Day to November 1st. In 834, Pope Gregory IV extended the celebration to the entire Roman Church. This was an attempt to coincide with the ancient Druidic festival of Samhain. The Church wanted to accommodate itself to the recently conquered German, Saxons, and Norsemen of Scandinavia, so it baptized yet another pagan observance and merged. Even later, in the year 1000, the church would make November 2, All Saints Day, to honor the dead. And it was celebrated similarly to Samhain with big bonfires, parades, dressing up in costumes as saints and angels and even devils. So you Celts want to keep Samhain, we'll just switch over to All Saints Day. Pretty much the same. It, to make it more palatable, they just swap symbols. The problem is those symbols of Samhain were the ones to survive to represent the transformed observance. So when did Halloween come on? Where did it get its name? Well, these three celebrations the Eve of All Saints Day, which would be October 31st, and All Souls were called All Hallow Mass, All Hallowmas. It was shortened into All Hallows for the hallowed ones or saints who were being remembered. The night before came to be called All Hallows Evening. Halloween, a contraction. Halloween, Een is evening. All Hallows Evening, Halloween. That's where it gets its name. So a day that started out as a remembrance of the saints progressed to a reverence for the saints and finally worship of the saints. This is the polytheistic pagan worship at its core. And remember, we now have the pagan pantheon to do it in. It was an unholy wedding of the saints in Samhain, as it were, 
a union of light and darkness, an effort to commingle the cup of the master with the cup of demons. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10 and see what Yahweh himself says about this syncretism. Verse 19, what say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. Don't learn their ways and not to Yahweh. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of Yahweh and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of Yahweh's table and the table of these demonic beings. These four religious perversions and threads are intertwined into a highly complicated and polluted net called Halloween that catches so many unsuspected celebrators. Satan has given the true sinister nature of Halloween a seemingly benign cultural veneer, a happy face, maybe. Although it doesn't look too happy when you go out and look at uh, the trappings. He is the master of deceit and disguise. What better way to infiltrate the minds of people, the minds and hearts, through this thing that he himself is just a harmless caricature in a red bodysuit. It's all just for fun, diversion, just amusement for the children. Learn not the way of the heathen. Runs through my mind all the time when I see these things. Just put him in the same harmless category as fairy tales and make-believes and you'll be okay. Deuteronomy 18.9, when you are come into the land which Yahweh your Elohim gives you, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of these nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. This is when Moloch, you know, and, and offerings to, of children to the fire. Or that uses divination. We go back to Pennsylvania and down the street of, I guess it's Lebanon. There is a sign out there, Palm Reader. And that's been there ever since I can remember. It's been down there for 30 years. And people go in. Otherwise, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be there if it you know didn't produce didn't produce customers. Still out there, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto Yahweh, and because of these abominations, Yahweh your Elohim doth drive them out from before you. You shall be perfect with Yahweh your Elohim. For these nations which you shall possess hearkened unto observers of times. They worship diviners. But as for you, Yahweh says, don't suffer to do so. Don't do it. Whenever the apostles encountered a fortune telling which which in the occult, they resisted it. They resisted it with the utmost force. Read 8th chapter of Acts about Simon the sorcerer wanting to buy the Holy Spirit. He was told in verse 22 to repent therefore of this day of this thy wickedness and pray Elohim if perhaps the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven you for I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. When spiritual revival came to Ephesus ancient pagan city through the ministry of Paul, we see a righteous fear in the people. 
that caused them to get rid of their occult dabblings. Don't even have them. Throw them out in the fire. Well, today they just drift along, letting the culture shape their private beliefs and practices, not stopping to question anything that the world does. With the excuse, well, that's, you know, I'm part of the world. I'm part, that's part of my religion or whatever they use. Not stopping to question anything, but just leap blindly over the cliff. That's how the Indians used to, used to uh, harvest buffalo. And uh, they, they'd run them with their horses, run them off a cliff. They go all the way down the cliff. And then the, the story goes, there's a town called Chugwater, and it got its name from the Chug. When they hit the ground, it Chug. And there was some river going by, it became Chugwater. But that's how people are. They just, you know, right over the cliff, don't even think. Blindly leap. It never crosses their mind to ask what Yahweh thinks of it because they don't know the Bible and they don't even open it up to look for it. And how they live out their lives. And Halloween is no exception. Can we mix light with darkness? It's a compromise, sure. Of course it is. It's a compromise with idolatry. Is that acceptable to a sovereign, holy father who says, the first commandment, the most important commandment is, I am Yahweh. You don't have any mighty ones before me. That means nothing. No other worship before me. You get that right, everything else falls right in place, right? You follow him, you follow his word. Everything lines up then. So right off the bat, he says, don't worship anything but me. Anyone but me. But it's for the children. Maybe just look the other way when we dabble in these annual rites and then embrace us again when it's all over. Come on. It's for the children. Imagine Yahweh giving a passive nod of approval as he sees witchcraft being glorified at Halloween. Imagine this in light of Exodus 22:18, where he thunders in his law, you shall not suffer a witch to live. You know, read Deuteronomy 12, 29. I'm not going to go through it because I think I've spoken enough, but he tells Israel how to raise their children in the right way, in the land that he's going to give them, which could have been a citadel on the hill. Everybody could have looked to Israel as the people that followed Yahweh as opposed to the billions of masses in the world that keep bumping against this brick wall trying to do their own thing. One of the biggest problems with the Old Testament Israel was their inability to keep their worship pure. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, that their experiences are an example for us, that we should not lust after evil things that they also lusted after. Yahweh does not accept compromise. And you can fool yourself and, you know, kind of give it a nod, you know, well, just look the other way. He does not accept compromise with any other belief system, any other worship that's not his. He alone practices righteousness. He alone is the one that we need to worship and follow. And get away from the darkness of this rank heathen religion we see in our culture today. It all goes back to the same roots. It all goes back to Babylon. It all goes back to a time when man first rebelled and said, no, I'll do it my way 
And Yahweh says, go ahead. I'll give you 6,000 years to work it out. We'll see how it ends. Oh, we see how it ends. We live in a scary world. We live in a world that needs Yahweh. We need in a world that will come to him and learn of his truths. That's all we're doing here, teaching, trying to teach his truths. You can follow them or not. It's up to you. But you are going to be responsible for the way you go. He says he's given his rewards to what you do in this life. So I challenge those watching from afar. If you've never linked up with us before, I challenge you to make a decision which way you want to go. Whatever decision you make, it's going to be you. It's going to be you. And I don't want to make my judge angry. You know, if he says, do this and follow me, then that's what I want to do. I want to do it. I want to please my judge. Hopefully, he'll have some mercy on me, and one day maybe I can serve in his kingdom. But until that time, we keep pushing on, don't we? We go together. We keep his feasts. And hopefully, we're an example to many others who will also learn of his ways and not rebel. May Yahweh bless you.